If I don't know you, my name is Sean Myers. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Redemption Peoria, the, the, the guy you normally see that <laughs> we'll get to teach. Um, before we get into our text, I want to do something that may seem a little more somber. Um, I, I know that I have a, a personal fear of um, ever getting to a place where we don't know each other. And I know and I recognize that we're not going to know each other on a, a, a deep level. And hopefully we can find a lot of those relationships in communities um, but I, I, I do fear that as we begin to process suffering with those who suffer, our fellow brothers and sisters, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, as we continue to grow, um, that goal or that hope or desire can, can get removed. And I want to kind of just remind us um, of ways to not do that and, and to keep us grounded. And, and here's what I mean. So I got a text yesterday um, from somebody who's in the Demeter community, Charles Jones, and uh, his wife, Amanda, they've been from, you know, pretty much from the beginning. They've been early on with us. Uh, and uh, Amanda's brother, Chris, ended up having to get air back to the hospital. Now, he's not a member here. He's actually a pastor at another church, but um, he's, he's, he's pretty much gone, guys. Um, her brother looks like, uh, he, I got a text last night, and Charles just says, he's on life support. There's no brain activity. Um, and you, I mean, obviously, whether he goes to church or not, Amanda and Charles do. And this is tough, right? Like, what do you do in those moments where you can't breathe? Like, like I, just, I don't know how to handle this. And, and furthermore, there's another guy named Aiden uh, Jimenez. Um, I just did Aiden and Ariel's wedding. And his mom is in rough shape, too, in and out of the hospital. Uh, I mean, it's all bad. And so um, I just want to take a moment real quick and, and just pray for them. I know that there's a lot of you guys who have some family members. Um, this is just... It just kind of came all at once and out of nowhere for Chris. I mean, honestly, it was, it was not, I mean, he, yeah, he's meningitis and, and just done, right? I mean, what do you do? Uh, so we're, we're going to pray for them real quick before we get started, and then, um, and then we'll get into our text. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for your authority. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you for your beauty. Thank you for your, your poetry that we see in this life for life starting, my own kids, watching them grow. This is something you do to see over and over. You bring light into dark places for you to rescue the lost, to give sight to the blind, to heal the lepers, to bring restoration to those who are unbelievably broken. Thank you. And in the midst of thanking you, we recognize that though your kingdom has come, Though the time is fulfilled, we, we walk in a state of brokenness, and it's already here, but it's not fully. And so we feel this brokenness in these moments. And then maybe some in this room, some of us know what it's like to be Amanda, to, to lose their only sibling. A lot of us don't, um, but we want to weep with her. We, we want to suffer with her. We want to come alongside and feel the weight of what that is. And so we pray for this family for the Williams family as a whole and the Joneses specifically, that they would be good shepherds in this moment, that they would pastor well. Um, help them, help them, help them, help them. We believe that you, um, and you are a miraculous God and you have the power to heal. We don't ever want to be in a place where we don't think you can do something. And so we believe that you can heal, Chris. And so we would ask if it is your will that, that it would be done. We pray your will would be done. Your will be done. And the same would be true for the Jimenez family. We pray, God, that you would help Maria and that you would continue to restore her and 
the in and out of the hospital and the situation she's in not being able to get medical care because of her citizenship. And these are broken systems that we pray against that you would help her, help her, help her. Help, help uh, Eden's father as he continues to, to figure this out and work so hard. Help Aiden as he's the only Christian in the family. Give him wisdom and how to navigate conversations. We as a church and as communities and as individuals want to come alongside these situations and suffer well with our fellow brothers and sisters. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you guys for, for doing that with me. Um, here's, here's what I want to do. I, before I start, I, I said last week that um, I, I was going to give us kind of 12 weeks before we got into our message of things specifically for Redemption Peoria that we do, because a lot of you are not familiar with some of the things that we do. And um, I wanted to just kind of continue to lay out. And last week, we talked about why we go through the Bible verse by verse compared to topically. We, we, I kind of try to do my best to argue for that point. And, and today I want to stay on the Bible piece of it. And very something specific that we do here at Redemption Peoria is, um, is actually kind of cool. And it's about the kids. So um, we have chosen not to go with something called the Gospel Project or um, extracurricular um, activity or curriculum for the kids. Um, though those things are awesome. There's a lot of actually Redemption congregations who do that. We have chosen to take the kids through exactly what we go through. So, so today, that long passage that Christina learned, or that Christ, Christina read today, maybe she learned it for, read it for the first time, um, um, that, that she read, the kids are going through at the same time. Now, here's, let me just defend why we, we've decided to go this route, because we wholeheartedly believe that we're not having babysitting classes right now, okay? Um, if you were a parent and you dropped off your child today, you are the shepherd of your child's heart. You are the pastor. We, we are, we are, our goal and hope with our redemption kids in these moments is to set you up for success, okay? So when you walk in, you're going to see a big blackboard uh, uh, with the computer uh, above the computers, and you're going to see these names, and that's every teacher who's in each class. Well, when you leave to pick up your kids, you're going to notice that blackboard is flipped around, and on that blackboard, it's going to say, here's the question you can ask. Here's what they learned. Here's this snack, because we want you to know what we've done, but our job is not to, to shepherd them or pastor them in that moment. Our job is to set you up to shepherd them and pastor them, okay? We want to uh, put you in a place to be successful. And so we want to go through. So when you go home, you can ask them, hey, um, did you learn about demons today? It's like, yes, yes, I did, um, okay? So, so uh, that, that's what, that's what we're, we're, we're doing, and that's kind of a, a um, I don't know if you want to call it a core value, but um, a distinctive of what we do at Redemption Peoria. The kids' ministry actually goes through. Now, if you don't have any kids, that doesn't affect you, but maybe you will someday, and you can plan on um, talking to them about the same thing you learned on your way home. So, so here we go. Um, this is your first time. Uh, we've decided to go through the book of Mark, and we're going to take a little over a year, a couple weeks over a year, and we're just going to plow through this thing, okay? And we're taking it section by section. Section Today is a larger section of verses that we've got to go, go through, and there's a lot of work that we've got to do, and so I want to get there quickly. But before we do, um, we need to do some setup, because if we're going to go through that many uh, verses, there's a lot of setup that we need to do. And so I want to kind of recap, again, if this is your first time. So uh, what we kind of did is we looked at Mark, and we recognized something right away way. As you read the book of Mark, um, you'll notice something that no one in the book of Mark actually knows who Jesus is. So as you're reading through the book of Mark, you're seeing people go over and over saying, who is this dude? Now, what's crazy is we as the readers, Mark sets us up as the readers to know who Jesus is, but never ever in the moment does somebody go, yes, you're the son of God outside of the second to last chapter in this book. Now, the reason that's important is because 
with that being known and that being a fact in the book of Mark, we wanted to ask the question, well, then let's find out who Jesus is. And so what we found immediately is he's the son of God. There's this Trinity thing going on. And, we, we want, and now when he comes, he brings this mission and he has this kingdom that's come because the, the time is fulfilled in this old world that we used to know. Jesus said, this time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And then we began to talk about our response to that, our, our response in repenting of our old ways, seeing our old ways, repenting of those things, and believing on Jesus Christ. Now, um, that, was, that was really, really great for us to kind of walk through. But then last week, we got into practically what that looked like. And Jesus is walking along the sea, if you remember, if you were here And he begins to look at men, fishermen specifically, and say, hey, leave your nets, leave your family, and follow me. And so we talked about this quasi-Christianity that has seeped into the church that we're going to try to avoid as a church. So there's maybe a buck 20 in here, and I'm just trying to put this in front of you. Just say this as blatant as I can. The idea of playing church is so silly. It's so foolish. To, to come here and begin to, to mix what you, your idols and your comforts into to Christianity, it is not possible. And these worlds are going to collide when Jesus looks at you and says, no, 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 hear me, drop your comforts, drop your family, drop all the things that you desire deep at a core level, level and follow me. Now, now, here's what's really bizarre for, for us to, to, to lead into um, our text um, in the midst of trying, uh, my, my goal is trying to explain what that looks like of following Jesus Christ. I shared this quote from Adnar Judson. He's a missionary uh, to Burma, and uh, he spent 38 years there and was crazy because I shared this uh, quote, and a, a buddy, uh, Dan, who goes here, came up to me after service, and he's like, dude, I got a picture of that guy in my living room. I'm related to him, okay? Adnar Judson. Um, now, we ended up finding out he was a liar. It wasn't the same guy. Um, but um, but, but here's, what's, here's what's crazy. Um, when I heard that, and even after I found out it wasn't true, it really made me like, begin to process like the guys that we're quoting or the guys, if you've been in the, the, the church world for a while or, or know anything about church history, the guys that we think of like you know, big names and maybe you don't know these guys, Luther and, and, and Spurgeon and Augustine or these guys who've been like, crucified upside down like Peter or lost their head like Paul. These guys, like, it, it's, it, was, it was crazy because as he said it, it, it made it so real to me. Like, Adnar Judson was a real guy who really lived and who really spent 38 years of his life trying to bring a gospel to a place that did not want it, who constantly tried to kill him. I mean, that, that really happened. I, I, and the reason it was crazy, because I think we like to, 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 to nostalgically think of these men and say, yes, that's what I want to do. I'm going to stand on my lunch table at school and high school, and I'm going to tell everyone why they need Jesus, or I'm going to save the world, or I'm never going to sin no more. And when, when the, the, the rubber meets the road, we're like, okay, 38 years? Like right now, if I can just be real honest, a rhetorical question, please don't raise your hand. But if God said, hey, I want you to leave this country, and for the next 38 years, go somewhere where you're constantly going to be threatened by death, you're going to lose three wives, or if you're a, a woman, three husbands, you're going to lose six of your 13 children, and most likely you're going to die there a miserable death. Yes, please. You know what I mean? Like at what point when we begin to process these men, do we go, that's real. Like that really, really happened. And, and the idea of, of Peter, James, John, Andrew, these disciples leaving their nets and saying, I'll follow you, really happened. And it made me think, um, what kind of dude was Jesus for Adnar Judson, for Martin Luther, 
for Peter, for Andrew, for these men to leave the comforts of this life, for for some of them to eat bugs and honey in the wilderness, to never have a family, to never know what it's like to love a woman, to never know what it's like to snuggle with children, to never know what it's like to sit in a living room and have people pray for you, but be desolate in a desert your whole life. What kind of man is Jesus that he can beckon people to do this? I mean, what kind of authority do you need to have to say, follow me, and you look at him, and everything within you goes, I have to. I, I have to. And it's important that, that, that we ask that question because um, for the most part, the Jews, as they're waiting for Jesus, going back to our long, big story before Jesus arrives on the scene, they're waiting for this type of guy. They're waiting for a man, and he actually has um, uh, two things that are specific that, that people are waiting for. But before I share those two things, I, I want to continue just to really quickly uh, share what we're trying to, to push against. Because maybe some of you aren't a Christian in here, or maybe some of you would say you're a Christian, and you're still trying to figure out what it is to deeply follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to share two quotes to you, uh, with you today um, by C.S. Lewis. I actually have three quotes for you, but two of them are by C.S. Lewis. If you don't know C.S. Lewis, is he wrote, well, he, he made the movies Chronicles of Narnia, okay? Um, and the, those honestly were not even like the height of what he, he wrote a lot more books that were not stories, more books actually that were not stories than, than, than were. And um, he, he has a really great book called Mere Christianity. And I say really great by, I mean, really awful because it's hard to read. Um, and uh, this is, this is uh, what it says in it. And I, I hope it's helpful in some ways. Um, and I'll share another one with you. I think we have it. Yeah. So this is what it says. See, so this is talking about um, us trying to make uh, Jesus this, this moral good teacher, this guy who's not beckoning people to give their all, this guy who's, who's not calling us to say, lay down your nets. He says this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, him being Jesus. And this is what they say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say, C.S. Lewis would say. A man who said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level in which a man says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left this open for us. He did not intend to. So C.S. Lewis would say, listen, he's either a liar, he is a lunatic, or he's Lord. He's either this crazy dude who he equates to being a poached egg... He's out of his mind, he, or he's come on the scene and he's lying to you that if you lay down your, your nets, if you leave the comforts of this world, that if you follow Jesus on a very, very deep level, then at the core of what happens, you're going to regret it at the, at the end of your life. He's a liar, or he is who he says he is. I mean, there is, there is no middle ground, guys. There, there's, there's no middle ground. And for us to begin to ask, what kind of authority is this, is a good question. What kind of man says, follow me and leave everything? So the Jews, the two things they're looking for, 
The first thing they're looking for is a man who has authority, like we're talking about. This man who can not just command armies, right? But there's something more to this because um, Jesus' authority is so much bigger as we've learned in Mark, right? So as, uh, as we see that he's not just the son of God and, and that he's uh, related to but not quite God, but he is God and that he is controller of all things, then you begin to realize that he is the God in the Old Testament as you read uh, a Psalm, ver- or not Psalm, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 through 14, that he holds the oceans in the palm of his hand. He measures the heavens by the widths of his fingers. He knows the actual weight of the earth. I mean, think about that. He holds, this is the Atlantic Ocean. Hey, hey God, how big is heaven? It's this big. And he knows the weight of the earth. What's bizarre about that is for us to even begin to process for him to know the weight of the earth. Weight is determined on gravity. Earth is floating. And he actually knows, so he really does know the, the color of the dress. Like, he made colors. So, so for us to begin to understand, this is the authority he has. Job 34, verses 14 and 15 say that if the Lord should remove his spirit from the earth, uh, all man would instantly return to dust. That if God woke up one day and says, I, I don't want to be there anymore, we would just instantly fall apart to dust. I mean, this is crazy. In Hebrews 1, 3, it says that he is upholding the universe by the word of his power. Not he upheld, not he will uphold, but he is now currently upholding the universe by the word of his power. This is Jesus. He is sovereign. He is in control. As Psalms would say that he is the Lord in heaven. He does what he pleases. This is the man who is walking amongst these men. This is the God who has looked at you and said, leave your nets and follow me. He has authority. But furthermore, for, for us to, to begin to follow, um, I, I, can't, I can't imagine that Adnar Judson or men who have lost their lives um, even now, yesterday, uh, uh, for Jesus Christ, do not have a good theology of the way the things uh, in this world are going to end. Um, they, they have to have a, a, a beautiful idea of that things are going to be different, that the lion really will lay down with the lamb, that as you read uh, Revelation 19 through 21, God really will dwell with us and truth be told that the sufferings of this present time really aren't worth comparing. And so there's these two things. One is that this Messiah supposed to come is supposed to be authoritative. The other thing is he's supposed to restore things to the way they're supposed to be. And so the reason I took so long setting that up is because our passage today is going to define or at least give us uh, lay a groundwork for us to see that Jesus truly is that man. Jesus really is worth following. And Jesus really is the one that not just the Jews were waiting for, but your, your, your deep longing, your, the, the hole that's in your heart. Um, as Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that eternity is stored up in that heart, he is the one to fulfill it. So let's get out our text. We got a lot to do. Um, so uh, again, we just got Jesus was just walking along the sea. He just picked up his disciples and, and with his newly acquired disciples, it says this, and they, him and his disciples went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at, astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribe. So there's a couple things uh, in here that's important. We're, if you don't know, um, we're going to read a couple verses. I'll stop and explain. A couple verses, stop and explain. And here's the, the first section. So Jesus and his disciples walk into a synagogue. It's a little different. You can kind of process this as being a church, but it's a little different than the way we would do church. It's way more of an open form. And so Jesus walks in with his disciples, and, and he's a new rabbi. So he says, hey, Rabbi Jesus, would you mind uh, sharing with us? And he begins to unpack and begin to teach. Now, what's crazy is as he teaches, the people are amazed at what this dude is saying because he's teaching with authority. Now, the reason this is bizarre because this word authority, um, 
this, it's, it doesn't, it, I, the idea of this word it means, and I'm trying to like, how would I express this? It means like out of original stuff. It's where we get our word author from. So there's nothing. And so um, here's Jesus and he teaches with authority. He teaches as he comes in and says, listen, you may be talking about Isaiah like this. You may be talking about Job like this, but I wrote the book. Okay. And so they're like, who is this guy? Uh, Tim Keller has a a, a great quote to explain um, what this looks like, and I I thought it was helpful. He says this, Often what the scribes and Pharisees would do to bring weight to the argument, so when you're in the synagogue, they're they're talking, arguing, right? Um, To bring weight to the argument and their position was to cite the great authorities of Jewish theological history. So scribes and Pharisees were religious scholars who were obsessed with quoting the authorities. So maybe they would say, well, Rabbi Hillel says this, but on the other hand, Gamil says this. And then Rabbi Eliezer's sorry, a testimony and witness of the truth is this. So they would sit for hours in the synagogue debating in this manner and bringing the evidence for these religious authorities. But here was the difference between them and Christ. Christ's words implied that there was no debate permitted. There would be no theological discussion or reflection, and Christ needed no proof for his argument or for what he was proposing because he was the authority. So, so people, and I'm just to read this again, as the interest of God, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So here's this first thing that we see. Jesus, in all of his ability, is the one who creates. He's the one who wrote the book, and he says, here is how it is, and they are amazed by this. But it doesn't end there, because as he's teaching, as this conversation is going on, as these people are amazed, It says this, and immediately, which is Mark's favorite word, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. Here is the first recognition. As I said, no one knows who Jesus is. No people um, know who Jesus is. And there's the first recognition of who Jesus is, and it comes from a demon. So here's Jesus teaching. They're all astonished. And this man comes in and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing here? Has, has my time come? We, and he, say, he uses this plural language, we, whether he's referring to all demons everywhere, just the demons, this legion of demons in this man. What are you doing? We, we're not supposed to go yet. Well, why are you here? And so as he continues to say, the demon begins to tremble. In verse 24, I'll read it again. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsing and comes out of him. Here's the second phase of authority. See, hear me when I say this. You have to have a strong belief in the spiritual if you're going to give your life. To know that when my kids are lost and my wife is gone, if I lose my husband at 29 years old with a two-year-old kid, my view of eternity has to be so big. It has to be so much more than just this world. Because I'll lose it, man. Oh, I've been in those rooms when stillborns are, and if you think for a minute that this is the only time you're going to see your child and you don't think you'll see them in eternity, man, you can't breathe. What do you do? And so you have to recognize there is something more than the physical, which, which um, brings up a, a point that we have to address because there are some of you who would say, especially if you're not a Christian, and maybe some of you who, who are in church um, would say, yeah, demons, okay, I get it, right? Like I was just hanging out with one. Um, but there's some of you who, who would say, eh, this gets a little weird. Uh, and I'd be like, yeah, it does. I mean, here is a man 
who is teaching Jesus, who is God in the flesh, and this demon comes in, and though it's a physical man, there is a spiritual battle going on. And for the first time, the fact that Jesus would say, his kingdom's come, I've come to bring light into this world, I've come to break down the forces of darkness, we have a battle for the first time of that darkness, the old age versus the new age, the kingdom of God at hand, and they collide, and as they clash, it's no contest. Jesus but looks at him, and and I don't know any way to say it, but the emphasis is here in the Greek, shut up and get out. Honestly. And then he begins to convulse on the ground, and he's done. So the man gets up, and everything's good, and he has this power, this authority over the spiritual. And let me just say this very quickly. Um, I mean, you have to believe that Jesus doesn't just have power if you're trying to wonder about Christianity. If you're trying to question where you are and you're not a Christian, listen, um, there is something more. There are things that can't be tested. There are things that are not just naturalistic, but Jesus is bigger and he is over not just the physical, but the spiritual. And there are demonic forces in this world. That is a real thing that really exists. And you know what's um, so uh, ironic is that some of you who push against the idea that there's demonic forces, um, especially if you're not a Christian, we would say, uh, 1 Peter would tell us that the God of this world has blinded your eyes. So it's the very demonic forces that are not allowing you to see that there are demonic forces. Now, I understand because um, when we read this story, I think too long in, in the church, we've been around uh, people who every time they stub their toe, um, it's a demonic force, right? And you go, well, no, um, you just walked into the couch, um, but, but, but on the other hand, there's people who say, no, there's demons at all. And so this is my second C.S. Lewis quote. These are probably two of the most famous C.S. Lewis quotes. So if you've heard them before, um, my apologies. But this is what he would say, and I think it, it's helpful for us to get our mind around what's happening um, in this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall, talking about the human race, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both heirs and hail the materialist or, or a magician with the same delight. So his, his, man, the, the demons are, are down with, and this is from a book called The Screwtape Letters, which is written from a point of view of a demon trying to get this man um, to, to not follow Jesus Christ. And it's a really bizarre book, but the idea is, is, is still there, right, where he is saying, hey, you can fall into two equal and opposite errors. We can read this and begin to tell every angel story and every demon story that we know and begin to get all scared. Um, and we can totally become obsessed with this crazy world and blame everything on the devil. Or we can just say he doesn't exist. And he would say, Sisyphus would say, the devil's okay with both. But for us to know these things are real, these things really exist, but more than anything, check it out. Here's a second way that we recognize Jesus' authority. The dude is over them. Okay, so, so, so I need you to hear this. Jesus is their creator. You understand? Do you understand? He, there in that moment looking at him, I used to be an angel of light. I used to be good, but now I'm looking into your eyes, the one who created me, and I am a demonic force, and I cannot stand in front of you. He's the one who created them. He has all authority over them. Anyway, let's keep going. So as he, he casts out this demon, Jesus having authority, not just over the physical, but over the spiritual, Uh, He goes on, and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, 
What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits to obey him. And at once his fame everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So this is just a, a, a capsuling or a summary of, of what has happened with Jesus. He is both casting out demons. He is both um, addressing the, 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 the spiritual problems that the kingdom of God is bringing to remove. And then he's also showing that he is authoritative, this new teaching. As it says in Luke 24, he's showing them that the Old Testament is all about him, right? But it goes on because we've got a lot of text to go, for, uh, go through. So I apologize for, I already talked fast, so now I'm talking really fast. Um, this is what it says in verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon, Simon is Peter, if you don't know. Simon's mother-in-law, so Simon, who is Peter, is obviously married. Um, Peter's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So a fever back then, I don't, you're probably aware of this, is pretty much deadly. Um, it could easily kill her. And so she's laying death with a fever. Jesus comes in as he leaves the synagogue. He leaves the church. He leaves the synagogue, and he goes to her. He grabs her by the hand, and she is well. Now um, we see, and we're going to continue to see this, Jesus does not just have authority to be the orator, the original uh, uh, stuff to bring about what is supposed to be and how things are supposed to be, but he also has power of the spiritual, but he also has power over the physical. So, so here is Jesus. He raises this woman up, and then she begins to serve him. So let's keep going, and I promise it will tie together. I hope I'm not losing you, because um, this was a bizarre story. Um, immediately, he left her, took her hand by the hand. Uh, verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed, and all the demons or sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. So this is, um, I, I want to focus real quickly on, on what's taking place here because, again, this, this tends to be this summary, but here Jesus is in a synagogue. Let's go through this very quickly. Um, he's teaching. Everyone's asto- astonished. This is amazing. This guy is teaching new things. We've never heard this before. As he's talking, a demon comes in. Bam! Casts out a demon. As they leave the synagogue, they roll to the synagogue to Peter's mother-in-law's house. She's sick. Bam! She's healed. They continue on. Now suddenly, I don't know if he stays at the house or what he does. Everyone has heard about this guy. He's healing the sick. Everyone has, has heard about this guy because he's casting out demons. And so everyone is bringing, all the city is bringing their sick, their, their, demonic, their demonically possessed uh, people to Jesus and he is healing and he is casting out demons and he is showing his authority. And this is awesome. This is amazing. And what's so great about this and what's so um, picture perfect for us as Christians as we recognize who we are, not just as redemption Peoria, but as the churches, Jesus gives us a perfect visual of not just what we are supposed to do, but what he has come to do. Because here's what we see sometimes. Sometimes we see people who are willing to, as Christians, give their life um, for social injustice. They're, they're willing to go feed the hungry. They're willing to um, go, uh, go to another country and build houses. And yet there's this like, I'm just doing good for good's sake. And yet we have the other opposite side where, where these people aren't really there to talk about Jesus. They're, they're just there to do good. They're there to take care of tangible needs, to heal the sick, to, to physically take care of them. And then you have other people who on this side are, are, are willing to, I just want to tell you about Jesus. Even the other day I was out to breakfast with some people and this woman came up and she gave us some bracelets, right? And she's like on this e, like, evangelist mission and she's there to, to save as many people as she can, which, which is great, but there's no tangible needs being met. And so though she's trying to save as many people she can it's like well yeah we're just trying to get people's soul saved and there's this false dichotomy that jesus is saying that's not why i came that is not what i'm doing with my authority because with my authority i am both healing the sick i am taking care of the physical 
but I am also taking care of the spiritual. I am putting these worlds together and I'm trying to show you that there is no dichotomy. There is no separation of these things. And this is important for us as Christians to see, especially because of the next section of verses when it says this, and rising, I'm sorry, at the end of verse 33, it says, uh, um, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Um, <laughs> I have no idea what's going on there. Um, like the demons are like trying to talk and he's like, well, wait a minute, they know who, and I, the only thing I can process in the main school of thought here is Jesus is going around healing people and doing some crazy things that people have never seen before. And the last thing you want to be known for is the guy who kicks it with demons, right? So you're like, well, yeah, there's the guy all the demons know who he is, um, right? So he's like, just don't talk. It's best if you just don't talk because I have a, a mission. I don't know if that's the reason. Um, maybe that's really dumb for me to say. I have no idea. Uh, verse 35, and raising, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were, near, or those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. So um, let's wrap this whole thing up and, and let's, let's get at uh, what probably the most important part of what we want to chat about. So in the midst of Jesus doing this, in the midst of Jesus showing that he has all authority over all things, that as I said, he holds the oceans in the palm of his hand. He has power over demonic forces. He has power over to the, the ability to, to, to heal the sick. He has power uh, showing us in, in crazy ways that he is the author, the original, he brings the original stuff to the word of God. It's the Bible that is about him over and over. The Bible is constantly pointing to him. He is showing and he's laying down, this is my authority. This is why I've come. This is why I am here. And Jesus um, uh, parts one day, the next morning, as, as he, the, all these things have happened in one day, Jesus the next day separates himself and he goes out to a desolate place and he begins to pray to God. Well, Peter finds him. He says, hey, bro, where have you been? everyone is looking for you. And he immediately says, listen, we got to go. We got to get to the next town because that's the reason I came. Okay, so, so here's what I need you to hear in, in all of this, in all of his authority, in all of the power that this man has, in the ability to be able to do all the things that he has done. Again, he finds himself, one, in a desolate place, but two, removing himself, stepping away from the glory. Now, hear, hear me what, what, what I'm trying to, to communicate to you for, for a second. Because if you're not a Christian in here, um, you, you begin to think that God only wants your money or the church is only here to take from you. And yet we serve a God, Jesus Christ, who in this moment is giving a beautiful reflection of, I am not here just for me. I am not here to serve me, but I am here to go from town to town to bring life, to bring this kingdom. And, and, and what's, what's so bizarre is if you're not a Christian in here, you are that next town. Like he didn't come just for the fame. The mega church platform is not for him. He left that thing there and he said, I am here for you. I've come to tell you that I have all authority. I've come to tell you that I heal the sick. I've come to tell you that I've cast out the demons. I've come to tell you that the longing you have deep in your heart is here. This is what Jesus has done. He has come as a faithful, suffering servant. This is the God we serve. This is the Jesus we read about. This is something we can get our mind around. Now, um, for us to understand that as Christians, you're forced to go, if this is the God that I serve, and this is the God that I follow, then it's his example I need to heed to. And what I mean by that is, um, for us to understand 
that Jesus did not go for his name. Jesus did not make uh, his name big, though the crowds wanted to be around him. He came for you. You are called to do the same thing. That the, the money you have, the, the comforts you hold to, the peace that you so long for in trivial things is to go, those things are awesome, but I am here to bring about Jesus' kingdom. This, this is our mission as a church. And I've said over and over, and maybe some of you weren't in those core group gatherings, but we met for about six months in these core group gatherings, and every single night we got together, what I said was, we are planting a church for mission. We are planting a church for mission. This is why we are here, because Jesus is going to the next town. Jesus is moving. Jesus is going. And you can continue to hoard, but Spurgeon would say, Spurgeon, I had to get it in. Spurgeon would say that I would not believe you've tasted the goodness or the sweetness of the gospel if you are not willing to share it with others. This is our call as Christians. And so to those of you who are not saved in here, those of you who are still trying to figure out Christianity, I would plead with you to know that Jesus has come not to get fame, not to bring um, insane amounts of uh, people into a building, but he has come for us as a church. He has come for you to believe on him, to know that he has all authority because he has all this authority and yet he lays it down to be put on a cross for the salvation of man. In all of his authority, no one takes his life from him. He gives his life. In all of his authority, he lays it down. In all of his power, he lays it down so that he can suffer for us. And if you are a Christian, you would be moved deeply by that truth. If you are a Christian, you would read these stories and go, so you're telling me there's someone who can heal the sick? You're telling me there are physical needs out there that I I must give so so, so that I can give back, not just to Jesus, but I can give to those who do not have because that is what Jesus has done in me. That we, we, we over and over, we melee people, yes, with social justice, but we do it for the sake of the cross so that his name would be great. This is our call as Christians. I know it sounds oversimplified. I know there's nothing there, but here's, um, here's how I'll, I'll close us. Um, I'm going to share a story with you guys that uh, I've shared, I don't know, maybe a hundred times. And so there's probably some of you have heard this story, but there's some of you haven't. And I think it portrays it really well. Um, so, uh, there's a book by Charles Stanley, um, and I forget what it's called. Um, I wish I'm trying to remember right now, and I can't remember. But anyway, he tells this story. He talks about how um, on the Mississippi River, there's this river that, if you're not familiar with the Mississippi River, that runs through the United States. Um, huge boats go through. This is a gigantic river. Well, there's this, this river that flows through, and um, there are certain parts of the Mississippi River that um, get real shallow. And so what happens is boats can't go through. People can't travel through. And so um, what they do in this, these certain smaller towns is they get these tugboats, they drop these anchors, and they pull these huge um, wedges of sand up onto shore. They pull these in. Then they get these tractors, and they pull these big parts of this sand up onto the shore so that boats can continue to travel through because sand continues to seep in, and it's getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And so um, what happens is you get these huge mounds, like 10, 12-foot mounds of sand along the shore of, um, of the Mississippi River. And what's crazy is um, as you walk the Mississippi River, you, you see these uh, hills, and you look at them, and you're like, that's a gigantic uh, sand uh, hill, and you, you see why. Okay, but unfortunately, as you look at that um, hill of sand, I don't know why I can't say that. As you look at that hill of sand, sand of hill, I don't know. Um, okay, yeah, so as you look at this hill sand, um, right, you see this, it, it looks really big, but here's the problem. When, when they pulled it up with the tugboats and they pull it up with the tractor, um, it was full of water. And so there's these 10, 12-foot um, 
big hills of sand and, and they look really big, but unfortunately, as the sun has hit them and as waters continue to run out, it becomes like a, like a powdered snow. Like, so it looks really big, but there are pockets where you can step in and literally fall straight to the bottom. So he goes on to tell this story, how true story where these, these two brothers, this um, older brother and this younger brother, um, were went out, go out to play. They got out of school and they go out to play. And as they go out to play, they say, they're going to go play by the river. And the mom and dad are like, oh, that's fine. Um, just go play. Make sure you're back for dinner. Well, the two boys go out, 12 year old and a nine year old, I believe it is. And, uh, they go out to play and you know, it's like six at night, not home, seven at night, not home, eight, nine, 10, 11. Where are they? The mom starts to freak out. Dad starts to freak out. They start looking. They can't find them. They call the police. Um, the police are looking. This is a small town. So the town's out looking for these kids, these boys, and they cannot find them whatsoever. And so it's midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and they're thinking they're dead. So they're looking at spotlights in the river. They're worried they're kidnapped. They're trying to find all the, the cornfields. They're looking anywhere and everywhere they can try to find these little boys. And um, 4 a.m., 5 a.m., and as the sun begins to rise the next day, you hear one of the police officers say, I found one. I found one and uh so they all come rushing over and immediately the mom falls on her knees and uh and begins to try to see um the youngest boy because he is buried all the way up to his neck in sand and so everyone's gathering around they're digging him up and he's completely unconscious um and as they continue to dig as they continue to dig uh the sand is going lower and lower and they get to about his waist and he begins to come to and cough up sand and he's completely disoriented and the mom is looking at him says baby look at me look at me baby where's your older brother where's your older brother we got to find your older brother and so the, the nine-year-old boy um, doesn't really know what's going on, and so she continues to ask, and the dad eventually says, buddy, listen, we need to find your older brother. Where is he? And um, he begins to cry, and he won't say anything, and um, she's, she's panicking. Just tell us it's okay. Where, where is he? Is he in the river? Where can we find him? And finally, as, as he's sitting there, um, and he, he kind of comes to, and he's able to hold back his tears, he just looks at his mom and says, I'm standing on his shoulders. So like what happened was, um, here is two brothers as they're playing on these sand hills, they both fall in and the older brother knows they're not going to make it. They're not going to make it. And so in like, in what beauty in self-sacrifice, I mean, what do we call this? He says, Hey, listen, we're not going to make this get on my shoulders because your head can be above sand. And as crazy as this story is, is, is like, poetic as this story is it it doesn't hold a candle to what jesus has done he says you're not going to make it but in all of my authority in my power on my shoulders you can keep your head above sand but you've got to get on you've got to get on and you've got to trust me and this is what we as christians have been called to do not just lean on jesus and rely on jesus and repent of these things and get on his shoulders and get our head above sand but also be the older brother to give our life for those who are not big enough to breathe on their own. This is our call. This is what we've called to, been called to do. This is my prayer. This is how we design everything we do at Redemption Peoria. And my prayer is that we would follow him well, but we would follow him in such a way that we are bringing Jesus' name to places that need to hear it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for who you are. We're grateful for your authority. Even today, praying for Chris and Maria, we recognize that you have the authority, you have the power, you have the ability to heal. 
And we pray as we read these stories, they would become more than just stories. They would, they'd be more than just something that we read about, but we recognize, Jesus, your kingdom coming into this earth, you really are the original author of these things, that you astonish us. And I pray that we would not just be amazed by what you do, because we recognize, just as the demons and those who were astonished neither believed and trusted in your name, that we can be amazed by what you've done, and we can really know who you are and have the right theological education, but not trust in your name. May we not get lost in that. We recognize that you have all power, you have all authority, and we submit to that. And more than anything, we are grateful that in your power, in your authority, you have laid your life down for us. Thank you so much for that. Our prayer is that we as a church would be on mission, that we as a church would follow your example, that we would bring the gospel to places that need it, We pray for our family members to be saved, but also those who need tangible things, we would meet those needs. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.